are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Renette's going to read here uh, from Galatians 4, 21 through 31, but we're going to go a little bit deeper in the chapter 5 in the middle of the sermon. But as you hear this first part of the text, Paul is using a, a spiritual analogy. He's going to talk about slavery and barrenness. And he's using that as an, as an analogy for what life is like when you think that by your good works you can get to God. So let's hear from God's word now. Be under the law. Don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written... Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of a free woman. Thanks be to God. Amen. I don't like hurricanes. Everybody's with me. I don't need an amen because I know you're with me. I don't. I don't like hurricanes, uh, and they they stress me out. You know, all the work getting ready for one, and then whether it's going to hit or not, and then whatever happens, it's cleanup time, and you got to remove those shutters. I, I just don't like hurricanes, and I I didn't I didn't have fun during Hurricane Irma. I don't know if anyone actually had fun during that, but I did not have fun. That was not fun or enjoyable at all. And after Hurricane Irma, I was super stressed out. And I was tense because it had just been a lot of work. And uh, after Hurricane Irma, one of my friends called me and said, hey, uh, I put my boat up in an indoor marina so that the hurricane wouldn't damage it. Would you come with me and we'll get the boat out and we'll take it out on the open water and we'll just go have fun for an afternoon. And I said, that sounds amazing. I said, Virginia, do you mind if I go out and spend that afternoon on a boat? And she said, please get out of here. You're super stressed. Go relax. And I was like, that's what I want. I want to get out of here. I want to get on the open water. I want to experience some freedom. That sounds amazing to me. 
So I went with my friend, and um, the marina took the boat out of storage and put it in the water. And we got in the water on that boat, ready to go, ready to go through uh, the canal into the intercoastal, then out the inlet into the ocean, the open water, and just get some freedom. And then we looked, and we noticed that right next to the marina was a bridge. And the bridge was low. That wouldn't have been a problem except the tide at the very same time was high. High tide, low bridge, and we realized pretty quickly this, this may not work. Well, the tide was going to go out, so it was just a waiting game and just a game of trying to get under and seeing if we could fit. So we revved the boat up and we moved it towards the bridge. And then my friend didn't blast the gas because he didn't want to like knock the top off the boat if it didn't fit. So he turned the engine off and we just sort of coasted towards this bridge. And I got on the front of the boat like to be able to touch the bridge and kind of guide the boat through the bridge. And so I'm on the front of the boat and I'm there and I have my hands on the bridge and I look back and our fishing poles are like sticking way up in the back. And I'm like, cut, you know, cut it out, get in reverse, go back. And so he does it, he revs the engine. We back out, we take the fishing poles down, lay them flat. Okay, let's try it again. I get on the front of the bridge or front of the boat. He gasses it just a little bit, cuts the engine off. We fly, we float up and I'm kind of got my hands moving it along the bridge, and then I look back, and I was like, no, we're not going to make it. Even with the fishing poles down, as I'm measuring with my eye, this barrier is in the way, and there's no way that we're going to make it through. So he turns the engine back on and backs the boat out, and we just sit there and wait and wait and wait and wait. And I was getting frustrated, and he was getting frustrated. Uh, Here we are in this boat. There's this barrier in our way. We're boating by measuring inches, not able to move forward. And there I am with my own hands kind of pushing and guiding the boat. And I was like, this is not fun. This is not stress-free. What I had pictured was us going out in the open water, right, and him just gunning it. And the wind in my face and the water splashing and the salt in my nose. I pictured freedom, but this was not freedom. I was picturing the boat carrying me, but here I am measuring with inches and using my hands to guide the boat. And I thought, this is not what boating is about. Boating is about the open water, not being stuck by barriers. Boating's not about measuring inches, but opening it up and going fast and having the wind in your face. It's it's not about me pushing the boat with my own strength. It's about the boat carrying me. You know that's what boating's about. And we knew that was what boating's about. And eventually the tide lowered and we were able to get out to freedom. But it's interesting. I find that many people think of Christianity not like the freedom of going fast on the open water, but much more like that experience of being stuck in the marina where it's up to you to push things forward. You're guiding with your hands, you're measuring inches, you're changing everything to try and fit through. It's, it's in people's minds, Christianity is much more like that boat in the marina where it's not about the freedom of the open water, but rather it's about what you can do with your own hands in your own effort. 
as you measure yourself. But Christianity is not about that at all. Christianity is much more about the freedom of being on the open water than it is being stuck in that marina. Christianity is primarily not about barriers or measuring yourself according to God's moral laws or, or relying on your own human effort for your relationship with God. Christianity is about freedom. And it's freedom that comes from relying on God's promise. It's not about you carrying the relationship with God, but rather God carrying you. What is Christianity really about? Christianity is really about freedom. Just as I told a story about a boat to illustrate freedom, Paul does the same thing. Paul tells a story about Abraham and his two sons. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He was not following the one true God. And you'll find his story starting in Genesis 12. But God called him and said, Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will give you many descendants. And Abraham and his wife Sarah said, well, wait a minute, there's a problem. We are old and we can't have children. So how are we supposed to have many descendants and how are we supposed to have a great nation if we can't even have any children? And they came up with the brilliant idea of saying, rather than trusting in freedom on God's promise, rather than relying on God to carry us, we're going to take matters into our own hands and we're going to push this thing forward ourselves. So Abraham's wife, Sarah, said, why don't you take the slave girl, Hagar, and, she, and I cannot get pregnant by you, but maybe she will get pregnant. And that will be the heir. That will be the son that continues our family line. That will be how we will carry this promise forward. And so we look at it and we go, that's kind of gross. And yeah, you're meant to see the oppression and the disgustingness of that. But Abraham took Hagar and had a baby named Ishmael. Not relying on God's promise, but relying on what they could do with their own hands. You know, we look at that and we go, mm, we can see the sinfulness of that. But I think many of us try and move things forward in our life, not relying on God's promise, but trying to make it happen on our own. And the result is we end up with Ishmael's in our life. We don't trust God, and so we do it in our own strength. We don't follow what the scripture says, and we end up with Ishmael's in our lives. When the way God works is much more what happens with Isaac. You see, Sarah did eventually conceive her own baby by Abraham, Isaac. They had never been able to have a child, but God opened her womb because that's the promise that he had made. And Isaac was born, the heir, the one who would carry the family line forward, the one who they could say, we did not do this on our own strength. We were unable to have children, but God kept his promise and move this forward. And if they had only trusted him, they would have experienced freedom. But the reality is Paul's telling us about Ishmael and Isaac as a metaphor for two ways to approach God. Two ways to approach God. There's the Ishmael mindset, which says, I'm going to approach God in my own strength. I'm going to measure this out. I'm going to see how good I am and 
and I'm going to rely on myself. And that's just like what happened at Mount Sinai. The Israelites escaped from Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai and God gave them the law and said, here's everything that you must do to keep relationship with me. Will you do it? And Israel's like, we got it. And they failed miserably. They failed miserably. They were not able to keep the law. They were not able to be obedient. They didn't measure up. And see, many people approach God from the Ishmael mindset. I'm going to make this happen. I can measure up. I can do this on my own. Or they think about it in terms of the Mount Sinai covenant, which was if you obey, then you will have relationship with God. But Paul's saying here clearly, that's not how Christianity works. But people think that's how Christianity works. And what happens is when you think that's how Christianity works, you do not experience freedom. You're stuck behind the bridge at the marina. And what ends up happening is people get delusional about themselves. People still think, well, I do measure up. I can do this. By the strength of my own hands, I can secure a relationship with God. I'm good enough. But how good do you have to be to secure a relationship with God? And what's funny is people who think they're good enough, who think they measure up, who think that they can get their way to freedom on their own, those people, at times us, it's, we're often smug. Because we're often measuring ourselves not against God, but about how we're doing with, against other people. And so when we rely on measuring to get to God, we actually look down on other people. But there's other people that say, look, I know I don't measure up. I read God's law. I see that I must be perfect, and I know I'm not. And if you stop there, that's still not Christianity because you're racked with guilt and you have nowhere to go. There's no way to get to freedom. You're just stuck in your realization that you're a sinner. And still other people would say, listen, some people measure up. Some people don't measure up. I just don't measure. I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live by my rules. And they're still responding to a bad view of Christianity. And when you live by your rules, it, 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 it's like being in that marina where there's nowhere to go and being like, I'm still going to open this boat up. I'm going to go as fast as I can in this little canal because I'm going to live by my rules. And you end up destroying yourself and those around you. That's the Ishmael mindset. That's the Mount Sinai covenant approach to Christianity. And what Paul's trying to tell us is that that's not Christianity at all. Christianity is based on the Isaac mindset. That we are sinners and there's nothing that we can do to secure a relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do. We can't be good enough. We can't be smart enough. There's nothing that we have in and of ourselves, in our own strength, to guide this thing forward. But the good news of Christianity is that you don't have to. Christianity is not about you relying on yourself to carry the relationship with God, but rather you relying on God's promise to lead you to freedom. quotes this, uh, this verse in uh, verses 26 and 27. This is really just using an Old Testament scripture from Isaiah 54 where the people of God had been so sinful that they had failed to keep the Mount Sinai covenant. And as discipline, God allowed them to be captured and taken out of Jerusalem and put in exile in Babylon. 
And yet, though they've experienced the reality of their own sin and the discipline of the Lord, what does he tell them to do? Rejoice. Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Paul is again using a spiritual metaphor as we look at the people of God who had been so sinful that they had been put in exile in Babylon. But he's saying, it's not based on your obedience or disobedience. My promise is still true. If you want to be encouraged in your Christian life, I would encourage you to read through the book of Isaiah. Because one thing you learn through the book of Isaiah is that people are messed up. And all the time they fall short of the glory of God and they fail to be faithful. And yet God's promise never wavers. And so what Paul's quoting that passage is to remind us that, listen, it's not by the work of your hands that you secure a relationship with God or that God works based on your own strength. The only thing that comes out of your hands is sinful and disobedience. The only thing that comes by your own hands is not measuring up to God's law. Yet rejoice. Because you're a sinner? No, because God's still faithful. God is going to keep his promise and lead to freedom. And here in Isaiah 54, he's, he's saying God is still going to do what he said he's going to do. He is going to keep his promise to Abraham and make a, a, a grand nation, a blended family through the promise of Christ Jesus. See, the, the Isaac mindset really is leading us to understand what it means to be a Christian. That we have nothing in and of ourselves. The only thing we offer God is our sin. And yet that doesn't stop God from sending Jesus and securing us in his family through the cross of Jesus. That through Jesus Christ we are forgiven we are declared righteous, we are made perfectly acceptable to God, and we're empowered to obey from the inside. And, and really, that's what makes Christianity unique, more unique than any other world religion. Because most world religions start off what, with what you must do. Christianity is about the promise of what God will do through Jesus for you. The pillar of our faith is the promise. Enlightenment isn't like ascending our minds to some greater reality, but rather that Jesus came down and entered our sin and our mess because of the promise of God. So as a Christian, when you begin to understand that the basis of Christianity is God's promise to us as sinners through Jesus Christ, it doesn't make you uncertain. It makes you certain because it's not about you. It's about what God has promised to do and done through Jesus Christ. So Christianity is not a, a religion of measuring. It's a religion, it's a faith of relying. Relying on God's promise. And really, the, 
That's where the freedom comes. When the weight of your faith isn't in your own efforts before God, but on what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. I told you that the book of Galatians has changed my life more than any other book of the Bible. Right when I was out of college, I I was a devout follower of Jesus who was a Pharisee. I was constantly measuring how well I was doing. Despairing when I wasn't measuring up. And I just couldn't figure it out. I tried harder than the people next to me, but I was miserable. And then I began to study the book of Galatians. And as I was studying the book of Galatians, the good news of the gospel really became crystal clear to me in a way that it had never done before. And I began to understand that I had been trying hard in order to secure a relationship with God rather than resting on what Jesus had done for me and resting in that power in me through the Holy Spirit. And it was bizarre. It shocked me. It was bizarre what began to happen internally because for for the first time in my faith, I felt free. I felt like the weight was on God. And I didn't even know how to think about it. I didn't even have a category for what was happening inside of me because I began to rely on the promises of God rather than what my hands could do for God. And I remember I told someone, I said, I I don't know what's happening to me, but I'm like relying on Jesus, I think maybe too much. And I I didn't have words for it, so this is what I said. I said, I think I'm making an idol out of Jesus. And the person wisely said to me, you're not making an idol out of Jesus. You've lit your living in Christianity. In other words, that's what Christianity is. It is total reliance on God's promise to us through Jesus Christ, rather than relying on our efforts. See, Christianity is really about your freedom by relying on God's promise. It really is about your freedom by relying on God's promise through Jesus Christ. And so what do you do with that freedom? If you are free, if if your relationship with God is not secured by anything you do, but by Jesus Christ, and therefore you rely on him, what do you do with your freedom? Well, Paul tells us in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, for freedom... Christ set us free. What does he say? Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. See, many people think that this is one form of Christianity, like total reliance on Jesus for your status before God. But a better way to do Christianity is to rely on trying hard, like to rely on performance rather than promise. And Paul's saying, no, it's not two forms of Christianity. Relying on the promise is Christianity, and anything else is not Christianity. If you rely on your circumcision to get you closer to God, you have no need for Christ and you're not a Christian. 
It's not about our performance. It's about God's promise to us. So stand firm in that promise. That is how your relationship is secured with God. But there's something in our hearts that so naturally fights against us because the rest of the world is based on performance. And so what we've done is people have even taken Scripture from this particular passage and twisted it to mean something else. Go to verse 3 and 4 for me. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. You've heard that phrase before, someone's had a fall from grace. And usually what it means in our culture is that someone had made it to the top, like an actor or a politician, and then they had done some sinful act that was so atrocious that they lost their status. They'd fallen from grace. But that's not at all what it means biblically. Falling from grace means you switch from relying on the promise to relying on performance. You no longer rely on God's grace and his unmerited favor to you. You rely on what you can do for God to secure the relationship with him. That is a fall from grace. That's what it means biblically. It means performance rather than promise. And some of you go, well, I'm confused. <laughs> Aren't we supposed to obey God? Like God God care about our obedience? Absolutely. Look at what he says in the next verse. He talks about righteousness, for we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. Part of the promise is that God's Spirit comes to live in you and change you so that you're more like Jesus. And that Spirit is a deposit that one day you will be totally conformed to the image of Christ. God's promise isn't against being good. God's promise is what changes you and makes you obedient in order that you become more like Jesus. So as Christians, we don't have to pretend that we're better than we are because we're afraid of God rejecting us. Our relationship is secure with God because of what Jesus has done, because of the promise but that creates in us the ability, the power, the supernatural power to actually want to be righteous, not to get something from God, but because we want to reflect who he is because he's so good and he loves us. So stand firm in your freedom because you will face pushback for relying on the promise. In verse 11, now brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Every human heart wants to add something to make themselves acceptable, not just to God, but everywhere. That's just the way we're wired. And what Paul's telling them is, listen, if you say it's Jesus' cross plus circumcision, you no longer have a need for the cross. And what the Galatian church was experienced was by saying, no, it's only the promise. It's only the cross. It's not by our efforts. It's not by performance. The false teachers were pressing in. And they were saying, no, no, Jesus is good, but you've got to add something to it. 
order to secure your relationship with God, in order to be in this inner circle. They, They said the cross is not enough. You have to add something, Jesus plus something. And see, some of you have grown up thinking that you're not saved unless you sit in the front row and sing loud. Some of you have grown up thinking you're not really secure in your relationship with God unless you share your faith. No. You're saved, so you do sing loud. You're secure in your faith, so you share your faith. The promise is what changes us and brings righteousness out of us. It's not that we're called to do nothing. It's that we rely on the promise for the power to be new people. And our faith in what Jesus has done produces God's love in us. Look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Faith in the self-giving love of God. Faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for a sinner like you. Seeing that and believing that wells love up inside of you so that what matters is not what you perform for God, but the promise working in you, seeing Jesus Christ more clearly and producing real love in you and through you. So that as God loves you, you love him back. As Jesus loves you, you love your neighbor. As Jesus went to the cross for his enemies, so you love your enemies. Faith in Jesus Christ works love in you. Jack Miller put it this way, if you aren't convinced of the power and wonder of Jesus' love for you, of your free justification, that's being declared righteous, and that you are God's dearly loved son or daughter, if you're not convinced of that and that his love is conditional, it's actually very hard to love others because faith in Jesus leads to love. There's one more slide. It doesn't matter how weak you are, how many sins you've committed, or what kind of self-image you have. Following Christ is about serving others in love, and we have the power to do it because Christ is in us. That's how he lived his life, and it's how he's empowering us to live ours. Christianity is really about faith in the promise of God in Jesus Christ. And when you have faith in the promise of Jesus Christ, that produces God's love in you that you share back with God and the world. See, when when you're in traffic and someone cuts you off, breaks the law and cuts you off, and you think about, I don't like that person that cut me off and broke the law. You think about how you broke the law. You broke God's law. And yet he still sent Jesus Christ. And you'll find that faith is working itself out in love, even on I-95, if that's possible. You'll find, listen, when you're dealing with a difficult person over and over and over again, and you begin to realize that you are a difficult person from God's perspective, and yet he still loves you through Jesus Christ, through the promise. 
that will well up love in you to love that difficult person. And look, when you're going through an insignificant season of your life and you just feel spiritually dry, you're like, I don't think I'm that important. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. You think about how insignificant Jesus Christ became for you, leaving the throne of heaven and dying as a criminal on the cross. And even in your season of insignificance, you'll find that love is welling up in you as you put your faith in the promise. Where's obedience? Don't we have to obey God? Yes, faith in Jesus Christ that produces love is obeying God. That is obedience. What Paul is going to say is that the whole law, all of God's law is really about love. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. And now, through Jesus Christ, we're accepted by God, but we also have this freedom to obey. That's really what the Bible means by freedom. It's not freedom to do what you want, when you want, and how you want to do it. It's really freedom from yourself. Freedom to give yourself away. Freedom to sacrifice yourself and love for God and for others. And we get so confused by this in our culture because to us, freedom equals autonomy. But that kind of freedom will only destroy. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, you remember the character Smeagol. My precious, right? And he just pursued, he had the freedom to pursue this ring. And he did. And it utterly destroyed him. And he couldn't have any real relationship with anybody else because any real relationship was just a maneuver to get to the ring. And that's what freedom in terms of autonomy will do for us. But what God's freedom does is it frees us from ourselves because as we have faith in the promise, it produces real love in us. And we want to give ourselves away to other people just like Jesus gave himself to us. We have a freedom from relying on measurements to be good, a freedom from living for self, and a new power in us to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love our neighbor as ourselves. Last verse, verse 13 and 14. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use this as an opportunity to be selfish and pursue your own desires and evil desires. Rather, serve one another through love. For the whole law, the law that we couldn't fulfill, but Jesus fulfilled for us, the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul has just done a number on us saying that we think we're free, but we're not really free unless we rest in the promise. But when you rest in the promise, you're actually freed from yourself to give yourself away in love to others. To sacrifice yourself for God's purpose. And what's the funny thing is everyone kind of knows that this is what it truly means to be free. We respect and love it when people sacrificially give themselves away. An NPR story uh, followed this guy named Lux Narayan, who was a marketing specialist, and he looked at 2,000 obituaries. And there was one word that popped out in the obituaries over and over and over again. 
and it was the word help. In other words, this person helped other people. And the interesting thing is some of them were really significant people by the world standards, but most of them weren't. They were just like you and me. (laughs) And yet what stuck out was the fact that they gave themselves away with their life. They helped others. They loved their neighbors. Friends, we've got it. We have the promise. We have the ability through Jesus Christ to actually live deeply significant lives of love. Not for ourselves, but for those around us. Christianity really is about freedom. Freedom to rely on the promise and not performance, but then freedom to live a self-sacrificial life of love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for coming. We thank you for dying for us. We didn't deserve it, but you came anyway. God, we thank you for fulfilling your promise that's millennia old, and we long to experience more freedom freedom from ourselves in order to be able to love our neighbors and our spouses and our children and our enemies and our people at work, Lord. Would you help us, Father, to rest and rely on the promise that brings freedom? And all God's people said, amen.